This is the Centuries of Sound radio podcast for 1902. My Lord, this one originally went out on Cambridge 105 Radio on the 25th of March 2019 and features no guests at all. Support Centuries of Sound and get a host of benefits for just $5 a month by coming to patreon.com slash centuries of sound. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome to Centuries of Sounds, the award-winning show where we travel back in time to explore a year of recorded sound. Well, perhaps award-winning is a bit strong. This Saturday I went along to the British Podcast Awards in London and got the Bronze Prize in the Bullseye Award. That is for podcasts delivering a compelling listening experience to niche audiences. So I was in third place in the obscurity category, but it's a start at least. So thanks everyone who supported me with that. If you haven't heard Centuries of Sound before, let me briefly explain. I'm working my way through the bits of history we have an audio record of. So we started way back in the 1850s, and now we've finally broken through to the 20th century. Mostly I'll be playing music, but I'll also include the occasional spoken word piece. If you enjoy what you hear, then you may be interested in the main thing I make, which is a full soundscape-style mix every month. These are now up to the year 1913, and I also have two two-hour-long mixes for 2016 and 2017. All of this, and a lot more, can be found at centuriesofsound.com, or by searching for Centuries of Sound on the podcast app of your choice. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm at james at centuriesofsound.com.
So where are we this time? We are in 1902, the year Real Madrid FC were founded, the Ibrox Stadium stands collapsed during an England-Scotland match, the South African army fought a last disastrous battle against the British to end the Boer War, Ernest Rutherford sent the first wireless signal to a moving train, and the Hanoi World's Fair opened in French Indochina. Now, before I started talking, you heard Sousa's band with Trombone Sneeze, featuring their virtuoso soloist and sometime bandleader Arthur Pryor. In a review of my 1902 mix, I saw this referred to as jazz, which isn't really right, but it's interesting to see that it's close enough for people to mistake it for jazz. Actually, what this is is a kind of midpoint between Sousa's marching band music of the late Victorian era and the hot ragtime dance music we'll get to in the 1910s, a kind of music which had already apparently disappeared from collective memory as early as the 1920s. So you might be the first people to be listening to this in quite a long time, in a sense. We'll have more of that sort of thing later. Let's move on to something different, a bit of a tin pan alley. Here are famous recording duo Arthur Collins and Byron G. Harlan with I'm a Dreamin' of You. I'm a Dreamin' of You, sung by Collins and Harlan, Edison Records. My only love, you're far away, but would you listen to what I say? Please come back home, I'm all alone, my poor heart's sad all day. Oh, have a little sympathy, and honey, please just pity me. No more I'll yearn if you return, contented I will be. Arthur Collins and Byron G. Harlan with I'm a Dreamin' of You, the sort of Tin Pan Alley song I associate with retro scenes in cartoons. It does sound like it's supposed to be a duet for a man and a woman, but the ten-ton duo, as they were nicknamed, managed it fine. 1902 saw the publication of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskervilles. That's a book that I had when I was about three, maybe four or five years old. It was a Ladybird Horror Classics edition. And um, 
If you have a look at it online, search for Ladybird Horror Classics, The Hound of the Baskervilles, you'll see quite how terrifying that was to own as a small child. Um, and the cover and the equally terrifying illustrations inside. If they weren't enough to scare a young child, the book also came with a cassette. The horror theme of the publication continued with the introductory music, Mazorsky's Night on a Bear Mountain, and the reading, which managed to emphasise the most horrific passages with its tone of blank dread. One bleak afternoon, when the girl's father and brothers were away from their farm, Hugo and some of his friends kidnapped her. They took her to Baskerville Hall and locked her in an upstairs room. During the evening, the sounds of singing and shouting from Hugo and his drunken companions in the hall below terrified her. She opened the window, climbed down the ivy on the stone wall and started to run across the moonlit moor towards her home. When Hugo found she had escaped, he was filled with rage. He shouted that he would give his body and soul to the powers of evil if he could recapture the maid. And his drunken followers shrank from him in horror. Hugo rushed to the stables, set loose his pack of hounds, mounted his horse and galloped wildly after the girl. After a time, his friends found their courage once more. Several of them fetched their horses and rode after Hugo hoping that they would be in time to save the girl. When they had gone a mile or two, they met a night shepherd on the moorlands. The man was almost too shocked to speak, but he told them, Hugo Baskerville passed me on his mare, and behind him ran an enormous black hound of hell. On they went. Soon they heard the sound of galloping. Hugo's mare came alone out of the night, its mouth dabbled with froth and its saddle empty. Now they rode close together, for a great fear was on them. At the entrance to a clearing, they found the hounds huddled together, shivering with terror. In the middle of the clearing lay the dead body of the girl. Lying near her was Hugo Baskerville, and over him stood a great black beast, shaped like a hound. As the horseman watched, it tore the throat out of its victim, then turned its blazing eyes and dripping jaws on them. They turned and fled, shrieking across the moor. Ever since that night, the Baskerville curse has passed from father to son. Naturally, this was immediately my favourite book, and I would insist on listening to it at bedtime every night. This possibly led to a lifelong interest in spoken word recordings, a mortal fear of large dogs, and a feeling of lingering injustice to the noble-sounding name of Stapleton. I hadn't read the actual book until a couple of years ago and was pleasantly surprised to discover that it's just as good as I feared it wouldn't be. It's easily the best of the Sherlock Holmes novels, from the way it starts out as a standard Holmes short story with a very sinister undertone, to the way Sherlock spends half the book as essentially a ghost, remember that he was supposed to be dead in 1902, to the fantastically dramatic ending out on the Grimpen Mire. Unfortunately, as far as I'm aware, no one has apparently made a decent film version of the story. The Peter Cushing version's okay, but messes with the story too much. The Peter Cook, Kenneth Williams version is unfortunately a silly mess. The 2002 BBC version is a complete misfire. The dog is not scary at all. 
and the episode of Sherlock from 2012 is the maybe the weakest in the whole series. No one seems to have recreated that atmosphere, and nobody's made a dog as terrifying as the one on the audiobook cover. But there are quite a few I haven't seen, so please let me know if there's a good one out there. Let's move on to some more music from 1902 then. Here are a couple of recordings of Carnival of Venice, a nearly 80-year-old song based on a Neapolitan folk tune called O Mama Mama Cara and used here as a showpiece by instrumental soloists. Thank you. 
Bohemir Krill and Charles P. Lowe there with recordings of Carnival of Venice, one of those tunes which gets endlessly recycled, to the point that it was used as the basis for a number of popular songs, including How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? Which, uh, fortunately, it doesn't quite sound like that. <laughs> Here's another piece used to show off an A-list instrumental soloist, this time banjo player Vess L. Osman, playing the very unfortunately named Darkies Awakening. Versions of the unfortunately named Darkies Awakening there, both by virtuoso banjo player Vess L. Osman. Let's get back to Tin Pan Alley again. Here's Billy Murray, one of the biggest singing stars of his day, with Under the Anheuser Bush. Come 
That was Billy Murray with Under the Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch being the company that make Budweiser beer. That's the rubbish Budweiser beer, not the nice Czech Budweiser beer. The song was apparently commissioned by Anheuser-Busch as a sort of advert and shows a kind of cavalier attitude to drunkenness, which will be out of step as we get closer to Prohibition, but which really fits the times of 1902. If you're a musical fan, you might recognise the tune in its adapted form, Down at the Old Bull and Bush, but this is the original version. So let's go off to Russia now and hear something very civilised and mature. This is Ukrainian soprano Solomir Krushelnika, one of the brightest opera stars of the first half of the 20th century. I'm not a huge fan of opera myself, but, well, just listen to her voice. That was Salomir Krushelnika with Puccini's Visi Date. In 1904, she would become the saviour of Puccini's Madame Butterfly. That opera had been booed by the audience at its premiere in Milan, but three months later in Brescia, a revised version of the work with Krushelnika singing the leading role was a major success and uh, made it what it is today. Here's another big name in opera, one that people may still know even now. It's Enrico Caruso with Una Fertiva Lagrima, one of those you'll know when you hear it opera standards. (laughs) 
That was Enrico Caruso with Una Fertiva Lagrima. Let's have one last bit of opera before we move on. This is Maria Mikhailova once again doing a bit of vocal duelling with a flute. This time the flute's played by someone called A. Semenov. I don't know whether that's a man or a woman, but they're just listed as A. Semenov. was Russian soprano Maria Mikhailova with A. Semenov performing Serenada, one of the many recordings I found when digging around on a site called Russian Records. Let's go a little further abroad now. This is a recording from a field trip to Tbilisi in Georgia, uncovered by the people at Excavated Shellac. It's a frantic piece, apparently featuring music from the region of Abkhazia. An instrumental featuring two double reed zurnas and percussion, 
and the label on the disc seems to indicate it's a dance tune from the northwest of Abkhazia in the region known as Kabardinia, which is now in Russia. You're listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio, the show where we travel back in time to explore a year of recorded sound, this time 1902, and you can hear the full mix for this year if you go to centuriesofsound.com. One thing you notice in this era is that songs tend to stick around. Here are three versions of Stephen Foster's Old Folks at Home, better known perhaps as Swanee River a song more than half a century old at this point, and still with plenty of legs on it. The first is a sort of cabaret version by the Edison Symphony Orchestra, with uh, dramatic sound effects. Then we have a parody version by Burt Shepard. I've had to cut out most of it because of how racist it is. And then we have a whistled version by celebrity whistler Joe Belmont, with some unfunny vaudeville humour from Byron G. Harlan to go along with it. Thank you. 
there'll be a hole down on the forward deck. Get busy and bust the loose. <laughs> <laughs> About the Swanee River, they tell you it's a pretty little spot. For the benefit of people knowing nothing at all about the place, a lot of information I have got. Way down on the Swanee River, that's the place to give you information of the liver. That's where the old folks love to stay. They got to stop there because they cannot get away. Way down on the Swanee River, no more I wish to roam. All the cool shades say, I'm glad to get away, far from the old folks at home. There are big alligators in the Swanee River that greet you with a playful little laugh. But if you are deluded by the elongated smile of them, and the one they'll bite the clean in half. There are 40 kinds of fever, you can catch them when you like, and the country round about is made of mud. While the flavor of the atmosphere is fully guaranteed to stop the circulation of your blood. Some bird impressions there from Joe Belmont. Apparently bird impressions were at this time still able to draw a crowd. Here is Joe again with a few examples of the birds you can hear in North America. The wren is a small bird that whistles early in the morning like this. The robin chirps through the day this way. 
In the evening, he whistles like this. In 1902, there was still a market for spoken word recordings. Here is another from our old friend Cal Stewart, once again doing a kind of vocal description of a slapstick routine, a concept that doesn't quite work now, perhaps it worked at the time, but it's still a fascinating glimpse into what people like to listen to back in 1902. Uncle Joyce, Weathersby and the fire department made by Mr. Cal Stewart, Edison Record. <laughs> well, sir, I said to the landlord of the hotel the other day, now, whereabouts in New York do you keep the post office? He said, what do you want of the post office? I said, well, I had just written a letter home to Mother and Samantha Ann that I want to take you down to the post office and mail it. He said, why, you don't have to go to the post office. Do you see that little box on the post out there on the corner? I said, yes, sir. Well, he says, just take the letter out there and put it in that box, and it'll go right to the post office. Well, I went out there. I had a good deal of difficulty getting the box open, and when I did get it open, I couldn't find any place to put my letter. There was a lot of knobs and hooks and hinges. Well, I turned around on the knob and yanked on a hook, and a lot of wheels commenced to buzzing and flying around, and I think all the fire bells in New York commenced to ringing about that time. Well, I looked around to see where the fire was. A lot of fire engines and hook and ladder wagons come galloping up to where I stood, and they had one big soda water bottle on wheels, and it busted and throwed soda water all over me. <laughs> one fella came up to me and said, what are you trying to do with that box? I said, well, I had just written a letter home to Mother and Samantha Ann. I was trying to mail it. He said, why, you doggone old greenhorn, you called out the whole fire department in New York City. There's your letter box over there on the other corner. Well, I went over there and put my letter in that box, and I was standing there looking around, and all at once a fella come along acted a little bit suspicious to me. When he thought I wasn't watching him, he opened the box and commenced taking the letters out. Well, now, I'd hear tell a whole lot about them post office robberies when I was postmaster at Funking Center, and I just arrested him right there. I took him by the nap of the neck and flopped him down on the sidewalk and sat on him. I hollered, fire, murder, watch, police, and... A lot of constables come running up, and they says, what are you trying to do with that man? I says, well, I caught him right in the act of robbing the United States Post Office, and by jingoes, I arrested him. Well, they all commenced to laugh, and then I found out I'd arrested one of the postmasters of New York City. <laughs> Here's another song you may have heard a version of before. It's Arthur Collins with Under the Bamboo Tree. Under the Bamboo Tree, sung by Arthur Collins at a Sun record. Down in the jungles lived a maid Of royal blood, though dusky shade A marked impression once she made Upon a Zulu from Matapula And every morning he would be Down underneath a bamboo tree Awaiting there his love to see and then to her he'd sing. If you like me, I like, I like you, and we like both the same. I like to say this very day, I like to change your name. Cause I love you and love you true, and if you love me, one live as two, two live as one. Under the bamboo tree And 
in this simple jungle way. He wooed this maiden every day by singing what he had to say. One day he sees her and gently squeezes her, and then beneath the bamboo green, he begs her to become his queen. The dusky maiden blushed unseen and joined him in his song. Like me, I like I like you, and we like both the same. I like to say this very day, I like to change your name. Cause I love you, and I love you through, and if you love me, one live as two, two live as one, under the bamboo Arthur Collins there, the Elvis of the Edwardian era, with a song which seems to have slightly patronising racist undertones, featuring patois and a tropical island setting. However, it was written by pioneering black songwriter Bob Cole, who sadly suffered from depression and committed suicide by drowning himself in a creek in the Catskills in 1911. Here are some more voices from black America. This is the Dinwiddle Coloured Quartet with Poor Mourner and Down on the Old Campground. By the tin witty colored quartet. Oh, Mona, well, you tell me, 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 Oh, oh, oh. 
the Dinwiddle Coloured Quartet with Poor Mourner and Down on the Old Campground. Sort of the kind of music which would later be referred to as barbershop. Sort of what would loosely be called spirituals. Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. Some other books published in 1902 include The uh, the Monkey's Paw by W.W. W. Jacobs. That's a story where the man finds a monkey paw and he gets uh, three wishes and the wishes misfire in terrible ways. It's one of those stories you might reasonably consider to be an old shaggy dog tale, and it turns out to be the work of a single author. It is a novel concept, and it has a nice, subtle extra twist at the end, but as I read a lot of Poe and Maupassant when I was a teenager, I find it pretty weak source overall. Your mileage may vary. Also published this year, 116 years before the combination of Uncanny Valley CGI and the voice of James Corden, a minor children's publisher put out a small run of picture books about a naughty rabbit. This book immediately lifted its 32-year-old author out of obscurity and went on to be one of the bestsellers of all time. I'm talking, of course, about Beatrix Potter's Peter Rabbit. Before I had kids, I found Beatrix Potter's work to be all a bit too twee and chintzy, too many moral lessons with sweet illustrations, not nearly enough weirdness. These days I have come around to it more. It's just kind of a world of its own, which is fine in its own terms. Let's have another bit of instrumental solo action. This is clarinet player William Tucson with Nellie Gray. Clarinet solo Nellie Gray with variations played by William Tucson, Edison Record. Thank you. 
listening to Centuries of Sound on Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been James Errington. If you like what you've heard today, please come along to my website at centuriesofsound.com or you can search for Centuries of Sound on your favourite podcast app, follow me on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, or if you're feeling particularly generous, you could even join my Patreon. If you have any feedback or suggestions about the show or anything that I do, you can email me at james at centuriesofsound.com. To finish, let's listen to something from Bohemir Krill, a Czech-American cornetist, bandleader, pioneer recording artist, and one of the major figures in this golden age of bands. This is Russian Fantasia. Cornet solo Russian fantasy with variations played by Bohemia Krill. It is on record. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.